Well, if you have an episode, or if... I'm just going to start that. If you have an episode of Whiskey Sessions, you like us? Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Whiskey Sessions. This is a very special episode because, well, we're talking about a lot of cool things. First of all, our top five is top five Chicago coaches. B-Pimp, you're a longtime, forever Chicagoan. How hard was this list to put together for you? Oh, man. I, I actually, the funny part is I came up with the names right off the bat, mm-hmm. but then trying to rank the names was very hard. And what? then I kept doing research because I was like, am I missing someone who should I have on here? And I never really changed who the five were, but I still am a little uncertain about my rankings. Yeah, it's, uh, I kind of had to think about it a few times and it, it wasn't easy. One of the weird, tough things about like Chicago sports fans is I think they are not completely, but for the most part, surprisingly difficult on their coaches. Like I would say to me, it seems insane at least compared to like the general manager and the president that more chicagoans aren't angrier with gar foreman and pax than they have been with like tom thibodeau and fred hoiberg i don't even know if like fred hoiberg is a good or bad coach it's hard to tell he's been given like four totally different teams as he goes into his fourth year of coaching yeah that's a really good point i don't understand why it's especially weird with the Bulls and White Sox because they have the same kind of patterns with the common ownership um, of having like ex players and leadership, and they're, they just get pretty much carte blanche to stay there no matter what the results are. Uh, and you know, it's like loyalty, but at a certain point, it's kind of are you paying attention to what's happening? And then the coaches just get the brunt of it, like you said. It's it's a strange dynamic. Yeah. No, I don't know. But I'm excited to talk about top five Chicago coaches. Before we get into it, uh, be pimp. I know you just spent some time in Hotlanta, Georgia. I have actually never been there myself, uh, except for their airport. So tell me, how'd you like it? Oh, I liked it. I was there once um, a few years ago for training. This was another business trip, and it was pretty intense. So I didn't get to go out exploring too much, but we were... Um, just north of Atlanta and Alpharetta, and um, it was it was great. I mean, it wasn't as hot as it normally is there, so we got lucky a little bit in that sense. It was still definitely, like, really humid, but um, it was manageable. And uh, the people there are definitely a lot nicer because, like, we were in this office, and we would go up to another conference room or something on a different floor, mm-hmm. and no, it seems like no matter where we went in the office, somebody would stop by and just be like, are you are you guys okay? Do you need anything? Um, everybody says hi. It's just, like, a different dynamic than I'm used to being in Chicago all the time. So that Southern hospitality thing is a real thing. Yeah, it is. They Ludacris talks about it all the time. It's that Southern hospitality. It's 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 real life. I, I experienced it, and they also, as I talked to you about before, I went there. I was trying to get a chance to try some kind of Atlanta or southern southeastern um, whiskey, mm-hmm. and I was able to do that at the hotel that I was at. They had backstage whiskey. Are you familiar with this? I have not had that. It sounds delightful, though. It it is the whiskey of 
former Hootie and the Blowfish frontman Darius Rucker. Whoa. And it wasn't bad, but it was extremely expensive. And it it was definitely not anything to write home about compared to other whiskeys I've had. So it was kind of a mixed bag. Like, I wanted to try. It was the only one I saw there that they had that I hadn't had before. And I didn't know it was Darius Rucker's whiskey until after I ordered it. And I was drinking and I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's interesting. So he owns that company. Yeah, he started the distillery. Wow. And it's it was fine. I just had it on the rocks. It was like, okay, you know, it's all right. But it was like 15 bucks for, a, like, not even a double. Well, I mean, some of that could be, I guess, hotel markup. How did it compare price-wise to the other whiskeys around? It was like one shelf above all the other whiskeys. And I think I had Bullet on, on another occasion on this trip, and it was like 750 So it was like double the price. Wow. That better be a really good whiskey if it's going to be double the price of Bullet. I'd have to give it another more thorough examination to have a final verdict on it, but it did not, it, at first glance, or first taste, it did not warrant a double up of price on Bullet. That's that's what I could say. Okay, that's good to know. I mean, it's not the official whiskey you're tasting for this episode, but if you had to say Boot or it's on the smooth train, where would you put it? At this point in time, I'd be giving it a big old cowboy boot. Whoa, a Darius Rucker boot. He he does wear cowboy boots, does he not? Yeah, he's a he's a, a cowboy. He's a cowboy. Yeah, yeah. I would give it one of his boots, and then that's that is subject to change if I am able to ever try it again and give it a, like a a little more thorough taste. But yeah, based on that experience, it would be getting the boot. Yeah, and I think price point is important in a whiskey. Like, if you, you put it, you price it in the middle ground, you put it where uh, the bullets of the world are priced, then you have a little more leeway. But if you're going to be charging $15, then the expectations go up. And if you're not meeting them, you get the Darius Rucker boot. He's getting a taste of his own boot. That's right. That's right. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the actual whiskey that you do have for this episode. Uh, I'm curious. I know it's a whiskey I've had before. Why don't you tell the folks at home a little bit about it? I, I made a little uh, error in my whiskey procurement strategy. Mm-hmm. So I have Knob Creek, which it has come to my attention. Andy has reviewed on our esteemed podcast, but um, it's the it's the normal Knob Creek hundred proof small batch that you see. Um, it's not one of the variants. Um, it's aged. It's a hundred proof, which is higher than most whiskeys, which we've probably discussed previously. That's high. Wait, so the one? Do you know what type the one was I had before? I like cannot remember. I, I'm pretty sure you had the small batch, which is like the normal. Okay. The one that they it's like their main brand or something, or maybe I'm messing that up. Hold on, let me see. Okay, well I'm I'm curious because I can't remember what I thought about Knob Creek. If I remember, I think it was smooth. But I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's good. What I did, yeah. I did do a little bit of a uh, a mix, like a remix on this for this episode, since I realized you'd had it. So I had re- I recently saw Uncle Drew at the theaters. You saw that? Yes, it was amazing. Oh man, sidetrack. We got to talk about that movie. It it was great. It was so bad, but it was great. Hmm. Um. You definitely need to see it. All right. Is I heard Reggie Miller is atrocious in it. Reggie Miller's really bad. Um, <laughs> you know who was the best in it, though? Chris Nate Robin. Oh, Nate, Nate Robinson. Robinson. 
he doesn't talk for half the movie, and he's just great. He can act. I good for him. I okay. I'm gonna see it now. You should see it. I don't know if I would recommend paying full price at a theater to see it. I did it partially as a little bit of a dare because I kept talking about it like sarcastically how it was gonna be great, and then, um, and then I was called out on that. So I was like, well, guess what? I'm gonna go see it opening weekend, and then I'm gonna post a picture <laughs> of the ticket, sucker. And I did it. Um, but at that trip to Studio Movie Girl mm-hmm. that Lisa and I went, Lisa was gracious enough to accompany me, um, on this trip to see Uncle Drew. Um, I mean, I, I, it, it didn't get bad reviews. It seems like it was fine. No, it was, it was enjoyable. Um, the, the director is the same guy who did Drumline, which is another one of my, like, movies that I like, which are just random and... Yeah, you know that it just t- it tells that story of like a, either sports or music where it's like underdog or you know it's just got a good narrative and it it's kind of makes fun of itself. It's just one of those kind of movies. Nice. But at Studio Movie Girl, they have cocktails there, which are extremely overpriced. But they had one that was a uh, bourbon based cocktail that had bitters in it, and I had always heard about bitters, but never really had a lot of experience of adding it to drinks. Mm-hmm. So in order to differentiate this a little bit, I added a little bit of bitters to my drink, because that's what I started doing with the Knob Creek. Ooh. That's how they sell it. So I'm going to review my own cocktail that I, like I made it. here. Um, and it's I don't have a name for it. Maybe I'll call it the Bitter Brian or something like that. But um, have you are you a bitters fan? Do you know are are you familiar? You know, we don't have much in the way of bitters, but I every time I do put bitters in my drink, I enjoy it. Um, I haven't really put bitters in whiskey much. I've usually done it with like clear alcohols, like a gin or a vodka, maybe. Probably mostly gin. But I am curious to hear how it is. So it's it's really straightforward. It's basically I think the one they make at the theater is uh, the ra- the bourbon, and then they add a little ginger ale and bitters and lemon and lime to it. Mm-hmm. So it's just a kind of a concoction, but mine is straight up the Knob Creek small batch, hundred proof with like three splashes of bitters added to it. Nice. So as you are trying it out, does this whiskey with your bitters, is it smooth or does it get the boot? At the risk of sounding conceited, it is smooth. Nice. Way to go, bittersy Knob Creek. It's, I know that I like Knob Creek, so... Knob Creek would have been smooth anyway. Um, it's a good, it's a good solid go-to. A little bit higher price point, but you know you're going to get quality. You are uh, bourbon, and the taste is good. It's a, um, it's one of the best ones for me to experiment with because the base is so solid. So that's why I picked that for this drink. The bitters takes out, adds a little kick to it, and it takes some of the. Um, <clears throat> the normal bourbon like warmth that you expect it makes it like kind of just tweaks it a little bit mm-hmm. and i really find the drink to be very pleasant i think it's a summer drink um and i highly recommend it i know i'm, I'm not creating anything here i'm kidding but it's good so if you want to get a little bitters in your cocktail you can you can do uh worse than a knob creek and bitters good to know all right so for our episode we were talking about Top five Chicago coaches. Before we go into this, I have a question for you, B Pimp. Are you ready? I'm ready. What will be the next Chicago sports team to win a championship? Ooh. 
I'll say the Cubs. I could see that too. I like the Cubs. I don't see what the the immediate pathways are for the Bulls, White Sox, or Bears, but football can change quick. I'm not predicting it will, but you never know. And then the Blackhawks, I'm not sure where they're at. They seem to be in a, a tough position. Um, Vakaran, who you may we may be able to call our official Blackhawks correspondent, he has t- kept me apprised a little bit of their situation, which is um, they have they have a, a cap dilemma because mm-hmm. the NHL has a has the most strict salary cap, from what I understand. It's so very strict. Yeah, so they have a you know Taves and Kane are very high priced. I guess they have a couple other high priced veterans, and they're having a hard time getting enough talent to surround them. Um, so they're in a bit of a bind from what I've heard. Hmm. Um, the, you're right about the NFL. I think the bears are in a position finally where they've got a coach that knows what he's doing and, uh, and enough of like intriguing young talent that they could be good soon, but I can't, you know, predicting that they're, they're going to be next over the Cubs who are pretty much like a well-oiled machine now is, would be pretty big reach in my opinion. So I think the Cubs are the clear bet right now. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet as well. All right, so let's talk about our top five Chicago coaches. Uh, I am curious to hear your list, so let's go ahead and get to it. These are our top five all-time Chicago coaches. More than four, less than six, it's the top five. All right, B-Pimp, who is your number five Chicago coach? For my number five Chicago sports coach, I am going with the later late career buffoon Mike Ditka. Number five. So he was he won the last Bears Super Bowl, which gives him unending credit in a lot of sports Chicago sports fans' eyes. Um, he's also kind of a moron, um, and ran the Saints into the ground by trading like eight first round picks for Ricky Williams after he left the Bears. <laughs> So I don't know if he showed that he was necessarily a great coach as much as he had otherworldly defense <laughs> that he took va- advantage of once. And from what I've heard a lot, there uh, there was shock that the Bears didn't win multiple Super Bowls in the mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's at number five. Couldn't leave him off, but, you know, there's some mitigating factors. No, I get it. I mean, I, I did leave him off my list, and part of it is like, their defense was otherworldly. I feel like they should have won more Super Bowls than they did. I don't even think, like, the Super Bowl that they cleaned up on, he couldn't even call Walter Payton's number to get him a touchdown. I just don't even feel like he's a good in-game manager, personnel manager, and it's hard not to look at him through the kind of guise of what an ass he is now. He's he's what the kids may call an ass hat. Yeah, and he yeah. just lives... Off of his history with the Bears. I mean, think of what how sad he would be if he hadn't won a Super Bowl. What would he even be? He could sell, like, mustache combs. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really hope the Bears win another Super Bowl soon. And maybe a couple. Just for the fact that Chicago will finally forget about Mike Ditka. Do you think he's more well-known because the Bears actually won a Super Bowl or because of the Super fans? That's a really good question. I think the Supervans did not help, for sure. The Hurricanes' name is Ditka. Yeah. He also, um, 
He gave, yeah, he gave what you mentioned about Peyton was a good point. He gave uh, William and the refrigerator Perry a rushing touchdown over the, one of the greatest running backs that's ever played football. Yeah, like how do you how do you blow that when you are going to obviously win a Super Bowl game by infinity points? Like, take care of your star running back. I do also kind of feel bad for the Patriots because they got blown out in the Super Bowl, and it was like that had to be a, a tough pill to swallow. But now, I mean, they pretty much made up for it like ten times over. Yeah, I I understand why, especially a coach who's won a championship is probably going to be on your list, and that, that he's that they're the Bears' only championship. It is their only one, right? I think they won some in the early days. Of, okay. Maybe it was before the merger or something, but I, it's the only one in recent history for sure. Right. So I get that. I just, I hate Mike Ditka. I can't it's, even, a pol- it's a polarizing list. It is a polarizing list. So there's going to be no double dip on that one. My number five is, even though I don't really watch hockey, I'm going to give it to Joel Quinville. Because, I, frankly, the Blackhawks have three titles. Uh, and what I remember when I moved to Chicago, and this was 2004, it seemed like no one in the city gave a flying fuck about the Blackhawks. I'm okay with people being like bandwagon fans, but I think as long as they kind of recognize that it can be that way, because I don't remember that many Blackhawk fans when I moved here, and it seems like nine-tenths of Chicago is a bandwagon Blackhawks fan. Yeah, they used to, uh, their games were not on TV because... The owner, the previous owner, it was the current owner's father, was so cheap that he said, if you're not selling out the stadium, then you can't watch them on TV. So they basically just, you had no outlet to watch the Hawks for for most of the 90s, I believe. Yeah. So there was a lot of, uh, they, they, they kind of created their own problems and then magically turned it around by being good all of a sudden. So... Yeah, I'm not sure why I turned uh, talking about the number five coach into a rant against <laughs> Blackhawks fan. I guess, uh, but what I do mean is, like, he must be a really good coach. I have no idea what he does that is different from what any other NHL coach does. But clearly, he's at least kept it together. Especially considering, like, the NHL does have that, like, very strict cap policy. And I'm sure it's not that easy to, like, keep running it back. And they have been. I may have more to say about this topic in a later entrance on this list. I'll take your word for it, but why don't you go <laughs> ahead and talk about your number four? My number four is the um, controversial and entertaining Ozzie Gian of the Chicago White Sox. Ooh, he's your number four, huh? He's my number four. I gotta a- say, I thought he'd be higher. I'm gonna tell you why he's my number four. Because, right. okay, I'm eternally thankful to him for being the manager of the only Chicago White Sox World Series champion of my lifetime. Um, He is, he had success. Now, I think he had success in spite of his own managerial skills because his approach to baseball was straight out of like the 1910s. I love it. And yeah, I don't know that you can really get too far with like bunting and letting people steal bases that are terrible at it. And a lot of the things he did, I don't agree with, but he wrote a extremely dominant pitching staff featuring um, one of your um, hometown team's castoffs, Freddie Garcia, yep. to the World Series championship. And I loved it. It was great. It was super entertaining. 
one of my favorite experiences was was following them um, to that championship. But I don't really know how much Ozzy Guillen had to do with it, to be honest with you. And I think he kind of couldn't get out of his own way and ended up talking himself out of town. And then he blew it with the Marlins because he talked about how much he loved Fidel Castro. <laughs> and then now he's doing like a weekly radio hit on the score. And that's pretty much it. So, Yeah, I was kind of wondering where he was now. But I do, I, I like Ozzy Guillen. Even if strategically maybe he's not the best manager ever, it always seemed like that was just like a fun White Sox team. And I think he did have a lot to do with that aspect of it. Keeping them loose. Yeah, yeah that's true. I did. I do recall hearing a lot of people's... Um, he, he took... He was a player's manager. He took the criticism when, um, you know, things were going... Anything went wrong or anything was questioned, he would take the criticism. So I'm sure the players loved him. And also, he was in a feud with Kenny Williams, and Kenny Williams is an even bigger idiot than he... Than mm-hmm. Ozzie Guillen is. So sure. I can't really fault him for that, but it's just... He, he hasn't... Had no, he hasn't had any success after, after that. So true. All right. Well, he's going to show up later on my list. But my number four is this is a controversial one too. Lovey Smith. Oh God. Now let me tell you why. And I know a lot of Chicagoans don't like him. From an outsider's perspective, I think he was great, and I do not get why he was run out of town the way he was. First of all, he followed Dick Duran, who was awful. He compiled an 81-63 and 63 record, and since, after he was fired after a 10-6 and 6 season, which is crazy, the Bears have been 27-54. and 54. I don't care what anybody thinks about Lovey Smith. He did a good job, and he's been, to my mind, because I think Ditka, like, was lucky, the best coach the Bears have had in over 30 years. We might have a real problem here. We might. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, I don't get it. I couldn't believe he was let go after a 10-6 and six season. Like, what were Bears fans expecting to come from that team? I don't even know where to begin. Well, begin somewhere. Because l- yeah. let me know where I'm wrong. Because I think Lovey Smith was a good coach. Lovey Smith is one of the most frustrating people that I've ever seen in my life. He was... Yes, okay, so listen. I'm not going to argue with... He's a defensive mind. Um, he had a good defense that he presided over. But just like I said about Ozzie Guillen writing that pitching staff, he had Brian Urlacher in his prime, Lance Briggs, Charles Tillman, Mike Brown, uh, Adewale Agunlia. I can go on and on. He had endless talent on defense. And they could never get an offense that was even approaching average in place because he didn't know how to pick an offensive coordinator. He didn't know how he didn't care about offense and he was the head coach. He only cared about one half of the game. So they had a, they had a definite cap on their abilities. I would argue that if they didn't get lucky with Devin Hester being the return man that he was, who had like a hall of fame career as a kick returner, they would have (laughs) never even sniffed the super bowl that they got into and then got embarrassed by the Colts. I can't, begin to tell you how much I am not a fan of Lovey Smith. I never would have even put him on my note to have on this list. And I feel very strongly about this topic. Well, I got to say, the one time the Bears were in the Super Bowl, and I absolutely respect your opinion on this, they did run into peak Peyton Manning at the very peakiest of his peakness. 
They were going to lose that Super Bowl. Do you think Papa John had anything to do with it? Probably. I'm trying to... Oh, God. What a piece of shit that guy is. <laughs> like, you all... Everybody already knew he was a piece of shit. He's, like, confirmed it even further. He seems... He's almost like a caricature. Because he just keeps getting further and further into the shit house. Doesn't it? Like... Because he seems... He seems, from an outsider perspective, like he has no personality. Like, when you see him on the commercials, you're like, wow, that is a blank slate of a nothing human being. And then it turns out he's an ass. So it's even worse than him just being, like, milk toast. I will say that I do like Lovey Smith more than Papa John. That we can agree on. Please tell me Papa John is not your number three. Who is your number three? My number three is the aforementioned Joel Quenville. Hey! I have a little bit... I, I am also... I would call myself a hockey dolt. Um, I don't know much about it, but... What I do know is that hockey has an extremely high turnover in the coaching ranks to the point where I think some coaches have been to like 10 different teams and sometimes they'll have like two, three year stints with the same team because one team will go through six coaches and be like, oh, we couldn't do better than that guy. So like within their lifespan, they <laughs> they just keep getting churned throughout. And he's been in Chicago for a long time. So there's something to be said for that. Part of it with a coach is always going to be like, what talent do you have? What do you do with that talent? But mm -hmm. there seems to be, from what I can observe, uh, he, that he is a pretty excellent hockey coach. He's brought some great success for the Blackhawks. Um, it's going to be looked back upon as a golden age for Blackhawks history. Oh, for sure. So he's he's there. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I, I do kind of wonder, maybe some some hockey fans can enlighten us. Like, what goes into being a good hockey coach? Like, what are the toughest parts of the job? When I watch hockey, it seems like... It's not like you're really running that many set pieces. I don't know. Are there any? I mean, maybe you have to be key about your substitutions. Like, put your lines together correctly. I have no idea. I would like to know, like, what goes into being a good hockey coach. I think Vakaran is probably, like, kicking his his desk chair yeah. at this point. But we, maybe we should have him on for, like, a... Uh, special segment where he can tell us about this. I, I do think that the lines play a big part of it. Like, who do you pair with who? Yeah. Um, like, the strategy comes from that because they have to observe whose skills go well together. How are they going to create scoring opportunities? But hockey's similar to soccer in that you basically, all you can do is throw your best attack there. And sometimes scoring comes down to, like, how does the puck come off the goalie? And getting rebounds and stuff like that. So I don't know, like, the nuances of the strategy, but I know a little bit about it. He seems to be well-respected. He does. Yeah. All right. My number three is Ozagian. And I just... I always liked Ozagian. I think it is pretty hilarious that he got into such hot water in Miami after saying that he was a fan of Fidel Castro. But, um, yeah, he... he he makes me think of the kind of manager that just kind of knows how to work with his players. And maybe that's not even true, but it, it just, like, that was a fun team to follow, those White Sox. Yeah, and I feel like now that it's your entry, I'm going to switch a little bit and give you my positive spin. I was trying to defend why I had him fourth a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, he, I, I always enjoyed him. I thought he was funny. Um, I liked him as a player on the White Sox. Mm -hmm. He was, like, one of those weird players who just, he would hit, like, 213 every year. But he just carved out a career for himself because he was good defensively. And I, I always had kind of like a uh, respect for those guys. Um, you know, he would hit like one home run the whole season, but was looked at as like a everyday starter. But he 
he was very entertaining. I thought it was the other thing that I thought was funny that he did. He rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because I think he kind of tried to just get his sons involved in the organization too. Like he has three sons. He tried to just like force them in as coaches or whatever, like translators and stuff. So he just had a lot of weird quirks to him, but I did enjoy him overall. I think I would do that with my kids too, though. I don't care what people say. You'd be like Adam LaRoche and have your kid in the locker room every day. Yeah, exactly. And if they weren't cool with that, leave him. Get out of here. Yeah. All right, who's your number two? My number two is Papa Bear, George Hallis. Oh. Go and win the Wayback Machine. Yeah, all right, let's hear it. He's the father of the Bears. He created the whole franchise. He They were very successful uh, when he was the coach. And he's an icon. His name is known by people across the country. Hallis Hall. Um, Hallis Hall, yeah. I mean, also, the sh- as I did research for this, we don't have a great legacy of coaching in Chicago. So he got all the way up to number two on my list. I don't really know what else to say about it. Yeah, I mean, none of mine are very old at all. And I think part of it is just, like, who I remember. I'm not... But, uh, yeah, George Hallis, hard to argue with that. All right, my number two is much more recent. Joe Madden of the Chicago Cubs. I cannot argue with the guy who brought the Cubs their first championship in 108 years. And I think part of it, I think he did have a lot to do with it. I know they have the talent. uh, But I think it takes a certain type of person to kind of... Just let them play the way they're going to play, not feel the just the weight of the pressure that the Cubs have on just losing over and over again, which I think made them tighter during like the Dusty Baker era when they were pretty good. But this team didn't have that, and they won. And I got a credit in some capacity to Joe Madden. I think I, I didn't want to interrupt you, and I missed the chance to do the, the double dip announcement. Oh, is it? It is a double dip. I I struggled with this a little bit because there's probably a notable name that people may have in mind that I'm not including. At all. Is one, is one thing. I the thought other thing this about was that, the one you were leaving out. No, there's a, the other part about it is he is still the manager of the Cubs, and it's always hard to do that because you don't have a complete picture of what's happening. But what I will say, we could just talk about this for a little bit because it is my number one, but... He is, I think, a great example of where baseball is going. And mm-hmm. part of that is he is he's an older guy, but he embraced a mixture of the analytics that are inevitable in baseball. Like every front office now has that kind of model that they're using. He's not afraid of numbers, but he also is old school in the way that he talks to people and the way that he interacts and he has been one of the best examples of blending those two successfully Mm -hmm. um he understands that in baseball what you're trying to do is put yourself in a position to be in the playoffs every year because the playoffs are such a crapshoot that you can't guarantee that you're going to win a world series but if you have enough talent in the pipeline you're going to be able to get there every year and maximize your chances and just hearing him he does a weekly radio uh like a half hour conversation um with the score and he's he just I just kind of understand I like where he's coming from I know his history um of how he came up as a hitting coach and he kind of has some revolutionary ideas as far as you know how to manage players and and kind of things like that so I think he's uh he's got to be the number one 
Yeah, I didn't realize he did like a half an hour radio show. That's cool. Yeah, he does. He'll he'll and he'll answer anything. He's really he really kind of an interesting guy to listen to, and I think he's um, he's a good representative. I'm jealous that the Cubs have him. Yeah, he's been well, awesome. I I mean he 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 could just retire and you'd be known as one of the best Chicago coaches of all time. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right. My number one, who is off your list completely, uh, is Phil Jackson, the Zen master. And I'll say I, I put him on here in part because the Bulls won six titles and it's hard to argue with that. And obviously they had a pretty strong team, uh, including the best player of all time. So there's that. Uh, but also to be able to keep that team, you know, as focused, it's it's hard in sports to like repeat over and over again. I even saw, even though the the uh, Warriors kind of cleaned up in the finals this year, you could tell throughout the season they just weren't as dialed in. And I think the Warriors have a really good coach in Steve Kerr, who probably probably some of his coaching style was informed by Phil Jackson and maybe also like Greg Popovich. Yeah, it's it's every year. They, they seemed very dialed in, especially when it came time for the finals. And I got to think that coaching had something to do with that. This is what's known as a hot take in the sporting world. I'm ready. Um, I don't really give Phil Jackson much credit for any of his championships. Is part of it because of, I mean, he was fine with the Lakers, but part of it because like how bad he was with the Knicks. It's that's a part of it, but more of it is he just was he, he was coaching teams that had not one but two unbelievably top twenty five NBA players of all time, including Michael Jordan uh, and Scottie Pippen. Who I mean, you could give Michael Jordan no coach, and they probably would have won those six titles. That's my opinion. He's do what? What is Phil Jackson bringing to the table that? could have changed how they played. Well, I mean, they weren't doing it with Doug Collins. Oh, yeah. I mean, they burned under the bus. But um, he then he went to L.A. and he had Kobe Bryant and, Sh- and Shaq. Yeah. And Rick Fox. <laughs> and who else do they have on that team? Slava Medvedenko. Yeah, like anybody could win with Medvedenko. Uh, Brian Shaw. Oh, yeah. Unstoppable Brian Shaw. They he basically he I will give him credit for this. He knew how to pick where to where to coach. <laughs> hey, that's a part of being a good coach. Um, and then I think we see that he he goes to New York. That was a that was a a mess in New York. That I mean, was an unbelievable mess. The the offense is dated. You can't keep trying to do the same kind of offense year after year. That yeah. that you know it's trying to put a square peg in a round hole. I don't know. He probably should be on the list, but guess what? He's not. That, those titles were, were all about Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, two of the greatest players that have ever played basketball. And, and Luke and, Longley and Bill Wennington and Dennis Rodman and B.J. Armstrong. And Ron Harper and Ron Tony Harper, Kukoc. Tony Kukoc. And Dickie Simpkins. Yeah, and Judd Bushler. <laughs> and Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr, of course. All right, do you have any honorable mentions? I would like to do dishonorable mentions, if it's okay with you. That is more than okay with me. I think we're going to be here for a while, though. One of mine is Terry Bevington. Who is uh, that? <laughs> do you remember Terry Bevington? Nope. 
he was the White Sox coach for a couple of years after Gene Lamont left. So Gene Lamont was the manager when they had like the really good run from 92 to 95, um, including the strike shortened season in 94, where they probably would have won the AL because they were just a behemoth that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gene Lamont left for reasons I don't remember. Terry Bevington took over for a couple of years and it was a train wreck. Like he was the most laughable major sports coach that I can recall seeing. He just made puzzling decisions in every aspect of baseball. He would go out and get in arguments about things that made no sense. Just a joke. He's my main dishonorable mention. I also wanted to do an honorable mention, which is Scott Skiles. Because, actually two, I'm going to double this up. Scott Skiles and Tom Thibodeau. Because they didn't win titles, but I think Scott Skiles gets a bad rap. I think that from a tactician standpoint, he is... Definitely an adept NBA coach. I think what happens is he has either he has a personality issue or he's not getting in the right place at the right time because it seems like what happens is he has success and then he just gets run out of town after a couple of years. Um, yeah, I think and I it's, think th- it's like the yeah, Doug ahead. Collins disease or something. Or no, not Doug Collins. Uh, who else had that problem? Larry Brown. Yeah, Larry Brown. He's been everywhere. Yeah, and I think Thibodeau. We see now that the Bulls front office is inept. And that's probably a, a charitable way of putting it. Oh, for sure. Um, and he basically was the sacrificial lamb of them keeping their jobs. Because do you recall this, the narrative in Chicago when he left was he's at the he's at the Birdo Center too much? Oh yeah, they I yeah they had a million reasons for why. It, but they all they all kind of were around him working too hard. Or him working players too hard, which maybe that's more legitimate, but, like, it was ridiculous. What other job is the reason that you leave because you're at the job too much? Yeah, I mean... It doesn't make sense. Or There was even stuff like his personality is weird and people find him creepy. Like, come on. You just... The front office doesn't know what they're doing, and I don't know, whatever. He should have... He was a good coach. He's going to probably win something in Minnesota if the Warriors and... LeBron's Lakers and the Rockets don't do it. He's fourth in line, maybe. Yeah, I think he could be. I'd, I'd like to see, for whatever reason, that team is not playing very good defense. I think they need to kind of step it up and figure that out. Yeah, that's supposed to be his calling card. Yeah, but I—that's for the same reason. I have Tom Thibodeau as a as an honorable mention, and also Dusty Baker. Oh, good old Dusty. Good old Dusty. Hey, those were some fun Cubs teams, too. They didn't make it, but... I did like Kosuke Fukudome. Yeah. He uh, he also... I like the fact that he quit smoking by chewing on a toothpick. Oh, I didn't know so that he, fun fact. That's why he always had a toothpick in his mouth. Hmm. He wasn't just... And his little son almost got run over at home plate because he was a bad boy and he was oh, like three years old. That's right. Why were they letting him on the field when he was like three? I don't know. That was a huge mistake. That could have been one of the greatest sports strategy tragedies of all time. Oh, jeez. That would have been, like... Uh, I don't even want to think about that. That would have been horrible. No, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, if you have Chicago coaches that we forgot about, uh, and you think they're one of the greatest of all times, let us know at our Twitter at, at Whiskey Sessions or our email, whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com, and we will read those emails on a future episode, but let's get to them now. These are... Your emails. 
you sent us emails to read. Emails! And now we'll read them. All right, B-Pimp, what do we have in the old email inbox? We have our good old friend, Hawkwolf630. Yeah. He's back. He's back. He's back. And he writes, Sup, dudes. Thanks for reading this email. couple of things on my mind that I need your thoughts on. First, I'm thinking of making the switch from boxers to boxer briefs, but I had a bad dream about it that the briefs were just up my butt all day, like way up my butt, like inside. Do you guys have any experience? Second, got any hot takes on bug spray? My arms are getting tired from carrying around citronella candles all day. Go! Hawkwolf 630. Nice. Uh, okay. I do not have feedback on the second one, on the bug spray. I will say, being in the Bay Area, it's not that buggy here. I've not had to worry about it much. However, I... Okay, I wear boxers and I don't wear boxer briefs and I don't really like boxer briefs. But I would argue with the idea that boxer briefs actually go up your butt more than boxers do. Am I wrong yeah, about a, that? No, I'm a boxer brief man. Um, and I can say that my advice would be that they're great. I don't like boxers because I feel like it's too much extraneous material that gets um, bunched up and stuff. Mm-hmm. I like something that can kind of keep everything in order and it like clings to your leg a little bit better. And I've, I've not really had issues with uh, uh, in butt invasions from my boxer briefs. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that's a problem. So, to our listener, I think boxer briefs, if you want to make that switch, I, I think you should go ahead and do it. My only hot take on bug spray is that I don't really trust it, because I feel like the smell... And if you've ever sprayed bug spray and you kind of get it in your mouth on accident, mm-hmm. it tastes like death. So I feel like there's something going on with it that is going to do more harm to our skin than the bug prevention aspect benefits it, us. It is. And you know what, honestly, made me think about this, because I was out in... Um, West Virginia, like, a few weeks ago, and went golfing, and it was buggy. You know what the best bug spray prevention is? Smoking a cigar. Oh, it gets rid of them? It does. Well, at least from your face, and that's the most annoying thing to me. Um, So maybe you would get bitten on some of your limbs still, but I'm telling you, just smoke a cigar everywhere you go. That's good advice. Apparently, they don't like the cigar smoke. They do not. And when I didn't have a cigar and I was golfing, bugs all up in my face. When I did have a cigar, I was A-OK. So you're, do you work for the cigar lobby or is this legitimate? I do work for them, but that has nothing to do with this. It's sound advice no matter what. Okay. Because I also work for the Citronella lobby. Wow. Yeah. How do you have so much time? Um, I'm quitting my job. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, tons of time. (laughs) You became, you, you, your new approach is just to work for as many lobbies as possible. Right, exactly. All right, I've got this email from Lyle in Lebanon, Missouri. It says, hey, Whiskey Sessions, all this talk of Adult Swim shows, but you didn't include the only righteous one, Moral Oral. That was the only show actually trying to save your soul. I don't think this person watched Moral Oral all that closely. I've never seen more oral. Do you know what it is? It's, uh, okay, it was about, I think it was claymation, about a kid who thought he was doing the right things in the eyes of God, but the stories would go awry to the point where clearly he was not. And so I worry about Lyle from Lebanon taking those kind of lessons from a show and maybe not living his best life. He got confused. He got confused. 
All right, if you have an email that you would like to hit us up with, go ahead and hit us up. Our email address again is whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com. That's not Hotmail. That's not Lycos. Uh, it's Gmail. Uh, hit us up there and we'll read it on a future episode. But we're going to close up the mailbag and call it an episode. B Pimp, do you have any fine words you want to leave our listeners with? Suck it, Phil Jackson. Ooh, I, I will say no to that and also Lovey Smith maybe should have been number one. Oh, okay. All right, peace out. Bye. Bye.